Hi there, friends. Welcome back to the State Tax Show, your home for the world of state and local tax. I'm Matt Hunsaker. On today's show, we take a look at a couple of Washington cases that you should know about even if you don't operate in Washington. So I have to admit that I had my first foray into the world of makeup this week, actually last week. I was playing a heated game of Capture the Flag with my wife and kids, and my legs decided to let my head know that I'm no longer a young fellow. So I ended up slipping, and I basically face-planted on our rough textured patio. I knew that was pretty serious right away because my younger daughter just immediately burst into tears. Luckily, though, I was able to see through the blood just enough to toss the flag back to my team. Also, luckily, I didn't crack my skull, but I looked like I was in a motorcycle accident. Given that I'm working at home, I didn't really think much of it. That's until I had to get on a video conference with about, I don't know, like 20 people. Now, us less haired men, tend to take great pride in the beauty and gleam of our foreheads. So in a panic, I ran from my wife's makeup drawer just to see if I could find something that could cover up the carnage. I grabbed the first thing that looked like it might work, and after getting it rubbed over my head, I read the label and realized it was actually lip gloss. So after that, I tried a bunch of powders until I got the right consistency. It actually worked pretty well, so... I might consider quitting my job and maybe becoming a beauty consultant. My wife, though, was not terribly pleased with all of the cross-contamination of her products. The time has come to get to Washington State. We need to talk about a couple of cases that might appear on the surface to be local, at least in effect. But we can't make the mistake of ignoring them because they have really important principles that are going to apply in other contexts. Both of these cases are B&O tax cases. That's business and occupation for those of you not familiar with the world of Washington taxes. Back in January, a new law went into effect that would impose an additional 1.2% B&O tax on certain financial institutions, which would cause them to have a total rate of 2.7% on their gross income. Now, this additional surcharge only applied to banks that had at least $1 billion in net income on a consolidated financial institution basis. Because of that net income qualifier, guess how many financial institutions actually became subject to the surcharge? Well, the answer, as I'm led to believe, is 29 and of those 29, all of them are domiciled outside of Washington. If you've been listening to this show or are really in the world of state and local tax, this should be sending out all kinds of alarm bells. Immediately after the tax was passed, the American Bankers Association and also the Washington Bankers Association sued the state before the law went into effect they, they sued it on some procedural grounds that I'm not going to bore you with, but they also sued it 
on constitutional grounds, namely the Commerce Clause, because this tax was intended to discriminate against out-of-state banks purposely to benefit local banks. And there was lots of ammunition in the legislative history on this. I mean, the, the bill sponsor basically admitted that this was what he was trying to do. In the court, the state said that the law applied equally to in-state and out-of-state financial institutions. In other words, there was no geographic component. And on its face, the statute had neutral criteria. But the judge issued a bench order striking down the tax. And what he said was, sure, on its face, the statute may not discriminate against interstate commerce. But it still violated the Commerce Clause because it discriminated against out-of-state financial institutions both in purpose and effect. So the state purposely discriminated against these out-of-state banks, and the law actually had the intended effect. Now, this is a pretty big win for the taxpayers. That is, if it gets upheld when it gets appealed. It shows that states can't export their tax burden by designing laws that only affect out-of-state taxpayers, even if they craft the law so that it appears neutral on its face. Now, I say this is a big win because I think you're going to see a lot more of this tax exporting activity in the future. And that's because states are trying to balance their budgets so they need the revenue, but at the same time also limit imposing additional taxes on their own residents and economy. So an example of this would be the Maryland Digital Advertising Tax. We did a pretty robust show on that a few episodes ago. Well, that tax was recently vetoed, but I think this was very similar to the Washington B&O tax case in that it essentially targeted, or at least was tried to target, the larger digital advertisers. Shifting gears ever so slightly, let's talk about a Washington market-based sourcing case. This is the Lending Tree case that I have to admit goes back to March. I know that's a little still for this show, but I still think it's worth a closer look. Like many other states, Washington uses market-based sourcing for sales of services and intangibles. What these laws require is for the taxpayer to figure out where their customer receives the benefit, where the benefit is delivered, where the customer, customer is located, or one of several other permutations. They're all kind of based on the same theme of where is the benefit received. One of the big issues with market-based sourcing, and there's a lot of big issues, has been whether or not to look through to where your customers, customers receive the benefit. And that's exactly what it was at issue in the Lending Tree case. If you're not familiar with Lending Tree, basically what they do is they match borrowers with lenders through their website. Borrowers give Lending Tree financial information about the loan that they're looking for, and then Lending Tree analyzes it and refers them to lenders. Borrowers don't pay anything for this, but the lenders do pay a fee to Lending Tree for the referrals. The Department of Revenue said that LendingTree should have sourced its receipts not to the location of the lenders, but to the location of their borrowers. In other words, they wanted to use a look-through approach. And they won. They won at administrative hearings. 
and they won also in the trial court. But the Court of Appeal said, not so fast. You see, the regs say that if the service relates to a customer's business activities, then the benefit is received where the customer's related business activities occur. I know that's kind of some dense language from the regulations, but I hope that makes sense. So the court latched onto this language and said that the receipt should be, and this is a quote here, attributed to the state where the lenders conduct their business activity that most closely or directly relates to the services performed by LendingTree. So the services that LendingTree provided were the referrals, but what was the business activity that related to that on the lender's side? Well, the court said that the business activity that related to LendingTree's activities or services was the receipt and in-house evaluation of the referrals. And this happened at the lender's business locations. It didn't happen where the borrowers were located. In fact, I think the record showed that when the referrals were made, the lenders didn't even know the identity of the potential borrowers. So the court struck a blow to the idea of looking through to a customer's customer. And this is a really important concept, not just in Washington, but in a lot of other states that are getting a little aggressive with how they apply market-based sourcing. I'll give you one example, and that would be funds. And in some states, there's been some issue as to if you are a service provider to a fund, do you look through to where the fund's investors are located? And that's been a really hot topic as of late. Well, not as of late. This has been a hot topic for ever since market-based sourcing has come around. And that issue as it relates to funds is definitely something that we'll look at in due course. And I may bring in one of my uh, fund partners to give us a little more background on how the funds are structured and how impractical this look-through approach is in practice. Well, that's it for this week. I suspect that we'll stay in the Northwest next week, barring any big developments. Thanks to all of you who submitted questions for the mailbag. I have room for a few more questions, so feel free to drop me a line. My email's in the show notes if you have any mailbag questions that you want to have answered on the show. Thanks again for listening, and until next week, this is Matt Hunsaker for The State Tech Show. The State Tax Show podcast is produced by Baker and Hostetler, LLP, and is for informational purposes only. It is intended to inform our clients and other friends of the firm about current legal developments of general interest. Issues discussed should not be construed as legal advice, and listeners should not act upon the information contained in this podcast without professional counsel. In some jurisdictions, this podcast may constitute attorney advertising. The hiring of a lawyer is an important decision that should not be based solely upon advertisements. Please visit BakerLaw.com for more information about our practices and experience.